0: So we are in a series called Uniquely Luke. This is stories and scriptures that are only in the book of Luke. And we are skipping over the birth. Even though that is uniquely Luke, we will do that on Christmas. But for now, we're skipping over that to the dedication of Jesus. So here we are, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child... This is a command in Leviticus 12, 8, and it was actually for a lamb and a pigeon or a dove, but it made an exception. If you're poor, you can do two doves or two pigeons, so they are very poor. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I believe you have a message for us today that is going to require me to to be hidden. And would you please hide me behind the cross? We need to hear what the spirit is saying to the church today. Please, God, we want to see you. We want to hear you. And we want to respond to you. Holy Spirit, please fill this place and help us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the title of the message is Agreeing with God. Point one is agreeing with his purpose for the human race. There are two children that are given their name in the New Testament before they're even conceived. One is named John, and one is named Jesus. The one named John, given this name from heaven, means this. God is gracious. Gracious means inclined to show unmerited favor. That God, his inclination, his bent, is towards pouring out generously grace that is undeserved. Jesus means God saves. So the way God is pouring out favor on the human race that's unmerited is by giving us a savior. Simeon sees it. What God is doing is revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. And he lays his eyes on Jesus. And where everybody else sees just another Jewish baby, another pair of parents, somehow in the Spirit, Simeon sees this is God's salvation. This is the turning point of human history. You can take me home now. I have seen in this little baby, I have seen the salvation that God has promised to the entire human race. Here's Isaiah 9, 2, and 6. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Folks, it is one thing to believe a promise that is in the comfortable past. And this is what we believe. And yep, yep, God's going to do this. It is a whole nother thing to look at something God is doing right in our midst to be able to see it and say, that's it. That is it. You can't, you can't get there. Except that your, your spiritual eyes are open. Simeon is a picture of what God is going to pour out on the Gentiles. He said that Jesus is going to be a light for revelation for the Gentiles. That the way the Gentiles are going to come to this is their eyes are going to be open by a revelation from heaven. I I want you to see how this works. This is Paul's calling. He is explaining it to King Agrippa. This is in Acts 26. And here's what he says Jesus said directly to him. He's recounting the the road to Damascus. And he's telling the story. And here's what he says. Jesus says, I will rescue you. This is the risen Christ speaking to Paul. On the road to Damascus. I will rescue you from the Jewish people. And from the Gentiles. To whom I am sending you. To open their eyes. So that they may turn from darkness to light. And from the dominion of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. And an inheritance. Among those who have been sanctified. By faith. In me. I have got a plan for the human race. I want to forgive the human race. I want to give them an inheritance for all those who are set sanctified means set apart for me. I've I've got something for the human race. So I'm sending you to these people, but I have to rescue you from them first. They are go- they're not going to be happy. They're going to be attacking you, they're going to be persecuting you. They're not going to even know that what you're bringing is exactly what they need. So I'm going to rescue you from the people that I'm sending you to. And here's. Why Why are they persecuting you? Because they're in darkness. They can't see. They cannot see spiritually. So you're, you're going to take some hits Paul. You're going you're to take some hits. You're going to get some rejection. You're going to get some abandonment. But don't be put off by that. Don't say well you must not be sending me. Because obviously they're not open. No I am sending you. I want you to pray for them. And I want you to go to them. Because I'm going to use your preacher. I'm going to use your love. I'm going to use your message to open their eyes. Their eyes are going to be supernaturally opened up and I'm going to transfer them out of darkness and into light. This is God's plan for the human race. So to help us get a hold of that, I'm going to tell you a little about our sleeping situation. This is going to be way too much information for some people. So several times a week, in the middle of the night, I just I get too, really, really hot. And I need to, I, I try to stay, and I wrestle around, and I realize I'm going to wake Alice up. And so I, I, I'm like, I need, to, I need to go down. So I go down one level, and I take a pillow with me, and I get a blanket, and I, and I sleep on the couch. Well, that's fine until I wake up. And I'm, I'm a very early riser, so I'm up between 4 and 5. And my quiet time is always in our basement. I've got a special chair, special place. And here's the problem with our downstairs. It's freezing. Just, it's absolutely freezing. So I get my coffee going, the Keurig, and then I have to go up and get a sweatshirt. I'm going to have a blanket over my legs, but I need, I need a sweatshirt. Well, here's the problem. It's really hard to find stuff in the dark. So I will go in there and I'll try to find it a while. And I know, I know something. If I turn that light on, and it just has to be for one second, it's amazing. Light, immediately everything becomes clear. I will know exactly where that sweatshirt is. Just turn the light on for one moment. So it happened this morning. <laughs> turn the light up, boom, there it is, boom, off. Now, this did not happen this morning. Here's, here's what's happened in the past Are you kidding me? <laughs> People that are sleeping do not want to be woke up. They don't want the light to go on. They are sleeping. Thank you. Please leave me sleeping. Please don't disturb my sleep. And so, you know, we've had this conversation. Can't you have a sweatshirt that you put out in the hallway so that you don't have to come back in? And all the women are like, yeah, duh, duh. And the the answer is, is that would be really smart if you remembered it. So here's what's going on in the human race. You and I are called to turn the light on. But we live in a society that is spiritually asleep and often want to stay asleep. <laughs> Jesus said at the, at, before the second coming, he said people are going to be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and buying and selling and planting and reaping and just going about life as if the reason why we're here is just to survive just to take nourishment and, and do another thing And they're going to be completely unaware spiritually of what is going on so what god does is he raises up you and i to carry the light and people are upset because they're sleeping and i want to stay asleep and how dare you wake me up and this and 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 then we get rejected and then we and 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 then sometimes what happens oftentimes happens with the church is the church is like, this would be easier if I was asleep too. And so the church goes to sleep. And the church makes up a Christianity that allows them to sleep. And, and then, if a Christian catches fire, I'm mad at them. I'm mad at them because I, I, I'm, I'm sleeping. P- please don't disturb me. Please, please don't talk to me about Jesus and about what God's doing in your life. It's, it's troublesome. And so, we are called... We, we are called to be the light in the midst of the darkness. And to do that, we have to be awake. Now, here's where Jesus weeps over us. This is in Luke chapter 19. He's weeping over Jerusalem. And he says, he says, if only you had known what would bring peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. There was an opportunity for you to see. There was an opportunity. I was in your midst. Miracles were happening. I was changing lives. And you saw it. It was right in front of you. And you had a chance to see it and wake up. And you chose not to. And then, terrifying. Now it's too late. It's too late. The time you have missed. This is two verses later. You have missed the time of your visitation there was a kairos kairos is the is the greek word for time and it means god's time there was a there was a time for you to respond and now that time has passed and now your eyes are blind and you're back in darkness this is god's plan for the human race redemption he wants everybody to rise on jesus not fall he wants everybody to be forgiven. He wants everybody to receive the inheritance that Jesus died so that they could have, so that Jesus could have his inheritance, which is the nation's. We must to start by agreeing that this is our, this is our purpose for being here. I, I don't like that purpose. Well, that's the purpose. <laughs> Sorry. This is what's going on on planet Earth. Okay, point two agreeing with our part in his redemption of humanity. So in 2020, I I always like to review my journals. I'll just pull out a journal. I've got, I don't know, 50 journals. And I'll just pull one out from whenever and just just find out what I was going through back then. So this last week, I pulled this one out from 2022. And here is the line. I am not everybody and I can't do everything, but I am somebody and I can do something. And I knew what I was going through at that time. I was overwhelmed by the need around me and the expectations. And when you get overwhelmed, it's very easy to just become paralyzed <laughs> and just, just harden yourself and just like, I'm just gonna take care of me and mine and I'm not gonna... And God's like, no, no. You're not, you're not everybody you're not, and you can't do everything. You are not the savior. I am the savior. However, I am... Called, you are somebody... And I'm calling you to do something. And each one of us has an assignment that is part of this redemption. Now, here's where the problem comes in. Oftentimes, the part that God gives us is it's not what we were expecting. John the Baptist's disciples come to him. They're alarmed. This is in John chapter three. He's like, John, (laughs) We are losing people. That we used to have all the crowds were here. We were, It was awesome. And now we're, our meetings are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And they're going over to be with Jesus. And John, John says this. I love this verse. This is, this is John chapter 3, uh, 27. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You guys want my ministry to be bigger, you want, it to, you want to, it to have gone longer, you don't understand how this works. We, that's over our pay grade. We just get an assignment. And he said, I must decrease, but he must increase. He said, now, don't worry about it because I'm not worried about it. He said, I'm, I'm a friend of the bridegroom. My joy was not in all the multitudes coming out and the influence we were having. My joy was in just hearing the bridegroom's voice. So my, my identity is still secure, guys. Don't worry about me. But he must increase and I must decrease. Why? Because John 1.8 says this, that John was not the light. He came to be a witness to the light. You and I are not the light. We are not the main event. We are witnesses of the one who is the light. So he must increase. And so what we need to do is we need to take our lives and we need to say, God, I will accept your assignment for my life so that I will be a witness to the light, so that Jesus will be seen, and it's okay if I decrease, because I want him to increase. So God loves every one of us, and he's very concerned about our reaction to his assignment, so much so that he says to Mary, Mary Mary is at this dedication, and it's all about Jesus is going to be so great, and so awesome, and the Jewish people, the rise and the fall, and then Simeon looks at her and says, oh, and by the way, a sword is going to pierce your soul. You you are going to be pierced in a way that is unexpected by you. And I'm telling you about it now. 30 years before it happens. Because I don't want you to get off track when this happens. There is something going to happen in your assignment that you're not going to like. But it's part of it. And God knows about it, and it's okay. John the Baptist His name means God is gracious. God is inclined to show unmerited favor. Surely John's life, who is an expression of the grace of God, is going to go really well. He is the, he's like Elijah. He's the spirit of Elijah, is on John the Baptist right from the womb. The angel said that. Surely he's gonna have a glorious finish, like Elijah was taken right to heaven. He didn't even die. John's got this all worked out. And then he goes to prison for confronting Herod Antipas and his relationship with Herodias. He's not supposed to go to prison. Elijah never went to prison. Why am I in prison? And then he's alone and it's dark and it's dark and pretty soon he's sending two of his disciples out to Jesus and they they bring a question and the question is this, are you the one that was expected or should we start looking for somebody else? And Jesus says, you go back and you tell John this, the blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the lepers are cleansed and good news is being preached to the poor. Blessed is he who's not offended by me. John, you need to be very careful right now. I am the Messiah. He gave them the messianic passage. But your life and your assignment was not what you wanted or what you expected. And you expected to be farther along or you expected to certainly not be in prison. You expected to, I don't know what you expected. Because this isn't how you prayed and this isn't what you believe God told you. And your life is very different than what you thought it was. And you you need to, you're in danger right now. Blessed are you that are not offended by me. God's given you an assignment. But you'll notice it's God's assignment, not the one you decided. And so you've had stuff happen in your life that you never would have chosen. You've gone through stuff that you never would have gone through. You've had brokenness around you and in your family and in other ways that you never would have chosen. And here's what Jesus is saying to you. Blessed are you if you don't get offended by your life. I, you are on my assignment. And I'll use everything. I'll use your sins. I'll use your family sins. I'll use your dad's sins against you. I'll use culture sins against you. I'll use, I'll use your brokenness in every way. Because I'm making you a light to the darkness. And the darkness you've experienced, others have experienced. And it will not hinder me <laughs> that you had to be forgiven. Hello, everybody had to be forgiven. You had to be healed. Everybody has to be healed. I will send you as a light if you don't let yourself be offended by the part I want you to play in my big redemption story. Even though God is always good, God is gracious and inclined to show us favor, oftentimes our assignment is not what we expected. Don't be offended by it. So let's talk about Anna. Anna... It says that she was, she was a virgin when she got married, and she lived with her husband for seven years, and then he died. So in that culture, a, Jew, a young Jewish girl would usually get married between 15 and 17. So her husband dies when she's 24. I don't think that was Anna's plan. I don't think she's like, well, we'll be together for seven years, and then he'll croak. I mean, she's planning a life together and kids, and, da, and there's none of that. He dies, there's no kids. And so she is in the temple. She's now 84 years old. So she's been there for 60 years. And she's worshiping and praying day and night, and she never leaves the temple. Crazy. This is her assignment. There's a grace for her to pray and worship and to prepare the people of God for the coming of Jesus. And she's on assignment when Jesus shows up and he she gets to participate in that redemption. If I say, there he is, that's him. So Mike Bickle has probably done, I don't know, 50 messages on Anna. It's called the Anna anointing. Mike Bickle is in charge of the House of Prayer down in Kansas City. There's been a prayer meeting in Kansas City, started in 1999, that's gone 24 hours a day, seven days a week, praying for America, praying for Israel, nonstop, Christmas, Easter, Mother's Day, praying. You could, you could go online right now and just put prayer room in and you would see it. Please don't, we're in our service. <laughs> you you want to see a modern day miracle, you just look at the prayer room. It's It's, it's stunning. Mike Bickle's got a conviction. That God has called, because revival is in God's heart for America, that there is this Anna anointing that he's going to pour out, and that people are going to have this assignment. They are assigned to fast and pray and worship, and that is their main thing. Their main thing is not evangelism, it's not service, it's to pray and worship. Literally, these young people, because it's young people that are doing this, they do two-hour shifts, they work a 40-hour week, and they literally raise money for their support. Instead of they're getting sent to Africa, they are missionaries to pray. How, what a waste of youth and strength! What a, that sounds crazy. Uh, listen, God's got a big plan, and part of His plan is prayer and worship. Somebody has to agree with God. Somebody has to agree and want what God wants enough to pray and value it and, and, and minister to his presence. And so these, these are praying and worshiping. And, and honestly, folks, this church is part of that movement. There there are prophetic intercessors all over this church. Your main call is to pray and worship and minister to the presence of God. And and you know that. And and for, for those of you that don't have that, first, praise God. You're not everybody. You don't have to do everything. But thank God somebody's called to that. Thank God somebody is doing that. Guys, I have thought and said for years that we're going to have this 24-5 prayer room when we do the expansion. It'll be open for the region. That is absolutely true. We, I believe that. I believe, I believe we'll have it. But there's a change. Something has come, become very clear to me in the last couple of weeks. That will not be the region-wide house of prayer. There will be another place that is not owned by city church and not controlled by city church. That will be the region wide house of prayer. We will be engaged in it. We will give to it. We will send. To, but it, w- it won't be in our building. It will be somewhere central to Madison. But there will, there will be, I believe, a, a, a region wide house of prayer. That we will be cheering for. And it, it will sustain the revival that God is even now pouring out. So what, what, what is your part? I can't tell you your part. God has to tell you your part. But I'll tell you this. Your life's not going to work until you're doing your part. Your life, your life is not going to work on the bench, being the critic of everybody. And your life is not going to work. You trying to be everybody to all things and do this and do that out of guilt and fear and anger. and Not not going to work. It's just not going to work. You're not in charge of the kingdom. He is. Government's on his shoulders, not yours. Point number three, last point. Agreeing, we agree with his purpose for the whole human race. Then we need to agree with our part in that plan. And then lastly, we need to agree with his judgment on pride. Read uh, with me uh, chapter 2, verses 34 and 35. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Jesus, his ministry, his presence, his his appearance, just who he is, is going to cause pride to rise up in people's thoughts. Here's what Mary said in her her prophecy uh, when she first meets Elizabeth. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those... Who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. But has lifted up the humble. God is releasing a judgment on human pride. Listen to Isaiah 2, 10 and 11. Go into the rocks. Hide in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord. And the splendor of his majesty. The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled. And human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. In 1996. I am in Faustin, Minnesota. The Toronto revival has broken out. And it's gone to Pensacola. Down in southern uh, in Florida and there is this invitation to the church in America. We take nine people from our church, nine leaders, and we go down there, and it was crazy, guys. It was just what God was pouring out was crazy. People falling, laughing, crying, shaking, everything, and our group of nine had experienced all of those things, and I'm just, we're coming back to our church, and I'm like, this is this is going to be a lot for our church, and so uh, we're very traditional Pentecostal church, Northwest Minnesota. And so I'm, I'm preparing them. And I'm like, you know, cause we came back and each one testified and said what happened to them. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, you're probably not ready for this and you might not be ready for this. And, but those that would like us to pray for them come forward. Well, like almost the whole church came forward and then crazy stuff started happening in our church. And our teenagers became this blazing, raging fire for God, and we had people going around that had fire on their hands that wouldn 't leave and it, every service things are happening and 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 it was it was just a crazy time well, at the same time, there were some some leaders in our church, some of them were official leaders, many of them were just they held a lot of position in the church because of who they were and how long they had been there, and they were angry. They were angry, and they were afraid, and and there were all kinds of accusations that this is just the flesh, and people are just, or maybe the devil, or whatever. And uh, and so, as the pastor, I am at that time. I'm in my early thirties. I'm wanting to calm, calm, and and bring the bring the church together. And so. We would go to different revival meetings and hear people speaking. And I just love this one guy. His name was Fergal McHale from Ireland. And he was traveling in the United States, but there was such a gentleness about Fergal. He just, some of the revivalists were so rough and just in your face. And Fergal's just this really kind, gentle. There's something about the Irish accent. That just made it a little easier to receive. It's just like, I don't know. And I'm just like, I, I, just, I have an idea. And, and, and I'm going to bring Fergal to our church. And, and I'm not accustomed to doing this, but I, this is what I, I gave him his title. I told him what's going on in the church. We're having trouble. And here is your title. The pinnacles and pitfalls of revival. I, want you to, I do want you to share a few glory stories, but I also want you to say, you know, everything that happens isn't necessarily God. And sometimes the enemy gets in and the flesh gets in and, you know, that it's, it revival's messy and just that it's, that it's okay. And so I, I send him this and he agrees to come. And so I go to all the people that are mad. I set up one-on-ones with them. And I say, listen, we got a guy coming and he's really going to help you. He, he's he's going to help you to just kind of adjust to what is happening and just kind of make, just make it easier for you to be, to be part of this. And so, so Fergal comes on a Sunday night. This meeting is engraved in my mind forever. First thing he does is he preaches for a full hour. Past the time that our church is supposed to end, he's still preaching. Well, that doesn't get you off on a good foot with anybody in that church. But what was worse was it was like Fergal didn't even get my email. He didn't. It was. He, all, all it was was the glory of revival. Everybody needs this revival. Everybody needs to get in the river. Everybody needs to jump in the river. Everybody needs revival, revival, revival is amazing. And you need to be part of it. And stories that he told and da, 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 da. And then he gets to the end. and I'll never forget this. He's calling people to the front to get prayed for and he says this, some of you are saying to yourself, why do I have to come forward? Can't God touch me back here? And he said, and I'm going to answer your question for you. I'm telling you why. Because the only thing keeping, in your, keeping you in your seat is pride. <laughs> 25 years later, we can clap. Not, <laughs> not Seriously, I was beside myself with anger. I was like dude, you have taken a, a division in our church and you've multiplied it by 100. This is, I, I'm trying to picture these people back there and him saying, you are filled with pride. I'm just like, this is death. This is, uh, and, and, and I'm so angry. at Fer- Fergo was staying at our house that night. I'm so angry that I can't talk to him. I, I, I can't talk to him. I, I, I t- show him where he's gonna sleep, and, and, but I cannot talk to him. I, I am just so, I don't know how I'm gonna say it, but I need to calm down before I say it. But I'm gonna talk to him, because this is just horrible. So that night, go to bed, can't sleep, and I'm wrestling and I'm wrestling and I'm wrestling. And about three in the morning, I have this dream, as clear as could be. In this dream, I am in a bar. And there's a bar stool, and the bar is there. There's a bartender. And I get up on this bar stool, and I order a Big Mac. Here's why. It looks like a bar, but it's not a bar. It's actually a McDonald's. Now, only I would have a a, a dream about McDonald's. So I order a Big Mac, and right after I order the Big Mac, a voice speaks over the top, and here's what it says. It says, things are not as they appear. And I immediately wake up. And that's just resounding through me. Things are not as they appear. And then I know stuff. I don't know how I know it, but I just know stuff. I know that everything Fergal said was exactly what God wanted him to say. And the way he said it was the way God wanted to say it. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know if you know what you're doing, but you are messing up your church. (laughs) And then this verse came alive to me. It's Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. This is Luke 16, verse 15. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. All the Pharisees were worried about was how they appeared and that they would keep their position. And Jesus was angry because his plan of redemption for the human race was being blocked by human arrogance and human pride. The very leaders that others would have followed are in his way because it's all about them. And he, he was not just confronting the pride of our people. He was confronting my pride as a leader. That this is not your church, and you don't get to decide. So about that same time, another, a book came out called The Final Quest. This book is very central to my thinking. Um, it's by Rick Joyner. It was given to him over a couple of years, different dreams and visions. And it sounds like it's going to be about the end times. It's really not about the end times. It's about the last day's revival. And the book starts out. Uh, uh, And it's, it's the army of the enemy and the army of God. And it's so discouraging. Seriously, in the first chapter, you start reading and it's like, this is horrible. Christians are in the enemy's camp they're thinking the anointing is condemnation. The enemy's puking on them and they've, got, they've messed up and you try to sh- shoot an arrow of truth at them and it just makes them angry and, and it's just a mess. And then the army of God is, all their weapons are on the ground, their they're sh- armor, they're playing games, they're, they're distracted by everything. And it's just like, the, Rick Joyner is so discouraged. It's just like, oh my. And then he notices that there's a man standing next to him and he says, my name is... My name is Wisdom. And he says this, if you want to win this war, you need to climb that mountain. And he looks behind him and there's a mountain. And so he goes over to this mountain and it turns out this mountain, every level is is something, it's a truth of scripture. The first one is salvation, and it's brutal, what's going on on the level called salvation. There's warfare all the time. and then there's water baptism is one of the levels, and unity of the brethren is one, and there's one that just says Galatians 2.20, and, and that one, I remember that one because the, the, the arrows of shame couldn't reach that level anymore. Now, believers could slide off of any of these levels. No matter how high you got, you could slide off, so you had to Anchor yourself with the word of God. You had to anchor yourself with truth. And, but, but to, to, to win, you've got, we've got to climb. So at every level, Rick Joyner is trying to encourage everybody, climb with me, climb with me. And, and a few at each level would start climbing with him. And finally, finally they get to the top. And the highest truth in scripture is, this, is it's this garden where you experience yourself, the father's unconditional love for you. And he gets into that garden, and he does not want to leave that garden. He's like, this, I, 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 this is it. This is, this. And wisdom says, no, you've, you've got to go back to the battle, but don't worry, because this whole mountain is inside of you. You don't have to leave this garden. You can live in this garden, but you need to go back and fight for your brothers and sisters. And so Rick Jordan is explaining what, what it's like coming down. All the fear is gone. His perfect love casts out all fear. Their armor is shining. It is brilliant. The, 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 the momentum to get to the bottom is strong. Because they want to go out and kick butt on the enemy. Devil's going to get his due right now. And so they get to the bottom. They are ready to charge. And Rick Joyner looks at wisdom. And wisdom says, don't do anything until you put that mantle on. He looks down and there's a mantle. And it, it, it's got humility written on it. So he puts on humility, and all of the glory is gone. He's ju- it's drab. It's kind of ugly. It's, it's no one would ever notice you with it on. And just as he gets humility in place, the leader gives a charge to go after the enemy. And as they're rushing out to destroy the enemy, Rick Joyner sees that, they're, that they're, it's an ambush. There's a hidden army that's coming up behind them. And the army's name is Pride. And they're coming back. And there's going to be an ambush because there's no protection on the backside. And Rick Joyner starts screaming, it's an ambush, it's an ambush, don't do it. And Wisdom looks at him and says, they can't hear you. No one can hear you that doesn't have this mantle on. And the army you saw, they couldn't see. You can't see that army except that you have this mantle on you. And what Rick Joyner saw next, and as I'm reading it, my heart is absolutely broken because what happens next is this. Demons will take a group of these warriors and wrap them up and get them into doctrines of demons, all kinds of different places, and no one can correct them Because they've had an experience with God, so they now know everything about everything because they've experienced God, they've had this revival experience, and now they're completely unteachable, and so they just get taken here and there, and they can't even acknowledge that God's presence isn't with them anymore because their theology says that he is, and their past experience, and and the reason why I'm brokenhearted is because this is the history of revival, where God will start breaking out somewhere, and then... It's short-lived because they get full of themselves. They write a book. They start a movement. They start a denomination. And now this is the way that everybody is supposed to do it. And God just, when man is lifted up and a church is lifted up and a group is lifted up, God has to back away. The Holy Spirit has to back away. And I'm like, God, how could we ever win? So he looks at Rick Joyner and he says this. You have taught in your books that to retreat in fear Is to leave yourself vulnerable to the enemy. And he said, and that's right. But what you haven't taught in your books is to advance in pride, makes you equally vulnerable to the enemy. So right now, we are in a very critical time in the United States. Fifty years ago, there was a revival in this country called the, the, the Jesus People. We, there's a movie out called Jesus Revolution. You can see it. That revival came and went. And then 25 years went past. And then there was another revival called the Toronto Blessing. It came to Pensacola. Came, it really messed up the church all over America. And that revival went out in the late 90s. And ever since that time, the church in America has gone downhill. After six decades of steady church attendance, ever since the late 90s, church attendance has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller in this country. Do you know the number one religion now in America is none? But right now, there's a revival. I'm not saying coming. I'm saying it's here. It's here. We're, We're right at the beginning of it. For those who have eyes to see it, it is here. It is time for the church to, to wake up. Yes. Yes. I feel like I'm experiencing deja vu, honestly, because my youth pastor at the time the revival broke out in Faustin was Shane Holden. I'm going to be at Shane's church after Easter. Doing, I'm doing a revival meeting and then Sunday morning forum and there's going to be an open This summer, me, Derek, and Jason Have been asked to do family camp back in Foston. Same same church. Do you know who pastors that church now? One of the youth that was in Shane's youth group way back then. God is patient. There's another way, folks. There's another way. God's not done with America. But this is a critical time. And I want to tell you the disadvantage that America has in almost every every area. America, the United States of America, has advantages that no other country in this world has. We don't have religious persecution, not much. We have education, we have programs for the poor, we have... There's just so much opportunity and advantage by just being born in America. And I'm grateful for for all of that, but make no mistake about it, there is one disadvantage that the United States has compared to all of the rest of the world. And it's spiritual. Let me explain it to you. In 60 AD, there was an earthquake during the Roman empire that completely destroyed the city of Laodicea. Now Laodicea was one of the richest cities in the Roman empire. Their lawyers were there. The doctors were there. they They were wealthy in every way. And when Nero, who was the emperor then, said, We 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 want to help you rebuild this city. This is an important city. You know what? You know what the people of Laodicea said? The leadership said, We don't need your help. We'll rebuild ourselves. So they they rebuilt themselves. Then take one penny from the empire. Thirty years later, John is in Patmos, the resurrected Christ, is speaking to the early church. And here's what he says to Laodicea. He said, You have become lukewarm. And it, it makes it makes me want to throw up. What you have come to makes me want to throw up. you have said in your heart, I need nothing. I've got my church, I've got my pew, I've got my beliefs, I don't need anything right now. And Jesus said this: you don't realize in your prosperity, you don't realize that spiritually you are naked you are poor, you are, you are blind. And he says to them, and I've got everything you need. I've got fire to revive you and purify you and make you like old. I've got garments of white to take away the shame that is on your identity. I have eye salve so that you can see what I'm seeing, so that you can be in agreement with me, so that what I'm doing, you can be part of instead of resisting Behold i stand at the door and knock he is knocking at the door why to wake them up wake up people wake up humble yourself because i'm i'm moving i've got plans i've got desires that right now i'm on the outside and you can't even be part of it and so he's knocking he's knocking on America's door right now. And in all of our prosperity, and all of our education, and all of our, we can handle it, we can do it, we can control everything. We're very, it would be very easy for us to miss what the sovereign God is doing in our midst right now. I don't know how you feel about it. I don't want to miss what God's doing. I want, I want to be part of it. Uh, I, I, I want to humble myself and agree with God's judgment on all pride and say, God, please, please, I want to put that mantle on. And it's interesting because in the context, it's not just a person, it's the whole church. And it's interesting because it's not just that church, it's the region-wide church in Laodicea. And they have a chance. He's knocking. He wants to come in power and glory and pour out a spirit, but they need to get this mantle called humility on. And then they need to be fearless because of the Father's love and humble because of the mantle of humility.